Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, actually, I believe it was big swinging dicks. So there was obviously an overexcited imagination on the part of some, I would suggest, because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. What's mansplaining, Senator? Welcome to In the House and In the Senate. I'm Alicia Aiken-Radburn and we're talking to women in Australian politics about who they are, what they do and why it matters. Dr. Helen Haynes has been the independent member for Indi since the 2019 federal election. Her electorate encompasses places like Wodonga, Wangaratta and the lovely Falls Creek in regional Victoria. Dr. Haynes has a medical background, which began with nursing before she moved on to a master's degree in epidemiology and public health at UNSW, before casually completing a doctoral degree in medical science in Stockholm. Dr. Haynes is the first independent in Australian history to succeed another independent in a federal seat. Rather than a political party, she was endorsed by a community organisation, Voice for Indi, as a potential successor to incumbent MP Cathy McGowan. McGowan had been the member for Indi since 2013, and her winning the seat of Indi from Sophie Mirabella and then retaining it was a huge shake-up for the major parties. Indi was previously considered a conservative stronghold, but fast forward to 2019, independent Kathy McGowan was endorsing another independent, Dr. Helen Haynes, to campaign for the seat. Dr. Haynes campaigned strongly on increasing New Start, now job seeker, climate change and rural health services. She won the seat and she has been advocating in Parliament ever since. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dr. Haynes. I just really want to dive straight into it. Um, what is, what's your day been like today? What's the, a day in the life of a parliamentarian like? Okay, well, today's a bit of an unusual one. Um, I try every now and then to put in the calendar working from home day. And, and like, this is a concept, pre-COVID concept, right? Yes. You know, we used to think that working from home was a special treat. Um uh, but anyway, given that we have been back in the office for a little while here, uh, I did think today, because I've had a lot of time on the road, uh, I've been really, really busy in the car, and I thought, okay, I don't really want to go anywhere today, so I'll, I'll work from home. But 
Um, it hasn't kind of worked out that way. I've found myself in my parliamentary office quite a lot, but I'm back in my lounge room now. But essentially uh, today starts like pretty much every other day and that's uh, I start with checking the media and my media advisor uh, summarises a whole lot of um, relevant media for me and puts it in a WhatsApp app channel and um, it's it's really it's pretty funny actually because when you are a parliamentarian one of the things apart from what's going on in the world um, is you're looking for newspaper articles that have picked up on the work that I might be doing so of I'm course. looking for my own name. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so anything that is referencing um, me and the work that I'm doing or my electorate uh, will be in that media feed but more broadly key issues of course they're there. Uh, because at any stage in the morning the phone could ring and it could be um, someone from the media actually asking for a comment. So it's really important to, uh, to, to run my eyes over the key events that have come through in the press that morning. So it starts with that. And then um, do you want me to go through kind of piece yeah, by piece? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go blow by blow. Yeah, let's blow. do it. Righto. Um, so I've got this uh, routine in my office that every morning the whole team, because we're spread across a couple of sites. I've, I've got a really big electorate by Victorian standards. Indi is 29,000 square kilometres and it stretches from King Lake in the south, which is really, yeah, almost peri-urban Melbourne, right through to the Murray River to Corriong, Tintaldra, all the alpine areas, right up the um, right up the eastern side of the Hume Highway, essentially. And uh, so I have an office in Canberra, an office in Wodonga and one in Wangaratta. So I've got staff spread across those three places. So we start, uh, we have 15 minutes, what we call a whip, and uh, for, for any of the political nerds listening to your podcast, they'll know that in, in parliamentary life people get uh, whipped. Uh, uh. Essentially there's someone in charge on one side of that, each side of the house, and they, you know, delegate who's going to speak when and so on. So we have this thing we call the whip uh, and it's 15 minutes and we go around the team and essentially you, you talk about the top three things that you're wanting to get done today. So we do that, we check in with each other like that and then everyone goes about their work. Um, for me today, I've had um, multiple constituent telephone calls, so um, people I'm catching up with, some of them to deliver really good news that funding grants they've applied for, they've received, uh, some of them to unpack some issues that they've raised with me. So I, today I was talking about um, about fuel supply with one of my constituents uh, you know, I was talking to another one around bushfire recovery, uh, talking to another one around uh, a Victorian state government budget announcement that really was brilliant news for her work. I've done another podcast with someone else today um, talking about uh, uh, the local power plan and my renewable energy policy. And and I've had a haircut because... Oh, it um, looks great. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been uh, preparing some speech notes because uh, this evening I'm heading uh, down to the town of Euroa to talk to a rotary group. So... um, Amazing. So you've just you've just got a you've just got a little bit on your plate then. <laughs> well, I guess the other thing that's really important in that is uh, next week we're back in Parliament. So I met with my parliamentary team and we were talking through the schedule for next week. So planning what speeches I would be making, uh, thinking about the legislation that would be before the House, what ministers I'm meeting, and who else uh, I'll be um, meeting with in Canberra. So prep for next week as well. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. You you mentioned your um you mentioned your media monitoring. Um what are those media items that you are tracking at the moment? What what's on the top of your to-do list, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess fundamentally like every other thinking person in the nation, I'm constantly keeping um, abreast of, of uh, the pandemic and uh, from Australia's perspective, um, very much looking at vaccine rollout and there's been some, well, there's been some interesting um, interesting uh, propositions put by the Prime Minister in the last 24 hours about the idea of vaccine passports, which was something that was right way off, you know, was never going to happen a year ago, and um, he's talking about that now, and he's talking about that in terms of not just passports to travel abroad but uh, interstate vaccine passports. So I represent a border community. Um, Wodonga is, of course, on the border. Uh, It's a twin city with Albury, and we had 168 days last year of the border being closed, and that, that created a world of pain for us. So the, the notion of the Prime Minister out of nowhere saying that we may need a passport to cross our own border when people live on one side and work on the other. So, um, you know, that's that's thrown the cat amongst the pigeons uh, truly. Um, so I've been looking in, in that for the media. I'm always looking, um, of course, for, it's you know, it's been budget last week, so unpacking reactions to the budget, the, uh, the announcement that the government are going to do uh, fund to the tune of $600 million, the uh, gas plant in the Hunter Valley. Um, I've been reading about that for more detail. What, what do you I, think yeah. of that? What's your? I know you've, you've previously yeah. advocated really hard on climate change and renewables. From your perspective in Indi, what do you think of that announcement? And where do you, how do you, how do you feel about where the, how the government is on climate policy at the moment? Yeah, so Alicia, uh, I, I think the idea of the government um, investing, and I'm using that term generously, uh, $600 million of taxpayer money into a, uh, a gas plant is flies in the face of all the best evidence in the world and it flies in the face of any advice coming from business. Um, it's a bad idea. It's not an idea that um, is supported by people who are genuinely trying to um, find ways for regional Australians in places such as the Hunter Valley to transition uh, from coal into other industries. So, uh, again, it was the worst kept secret, I guess, around that that was what the government was going to do. They held off making that announcement until this week. But there are other ways that we can... um, transition to renewable energy in regional Australia and bring regional Australians along with us to make sure that their, their livelihoods are enhanced, not um, not ruined. So I've done a lot of work, as you may know, um, with regional communities on, um, on ways that, that uh, the money that's generated from large-scale solar and wind and hydrogen um, in fact, can flow back into regional communities. And I've got legislation before the parliament right now, the Australian Local Power Agency, which is really about scaling up community ownership of, uh, of renewable energy. So um, I'm, I'm not in any way uh, part of the cheer squad for Minister Taylor's announcement. I think it's a very bad idea. 
It's a really tricky area, Helen. I think there's a damaging stereotype that coal miners or people who work in non-renewable industries are Luddites and opposed to new technologies. It's a complex area and these people have genuine anxieties about losing their jobs in industries they've worked in their whole lives. So what do you think that the transition looks like for workers and what does that look like in Indi? Well, first up, I want to say that um, there are no coal mines in Indi, so <laughs> I, I don't have constituents who are coming to me to, to with with real concerns about um, where they or their family members might be working into the future. So I, I really want to acknowledge that um, that if someone is working in an industry such as such as coal, um, then then their fears for the future are legitimate because. Mm-hmm. The writing is clearly on the wall that the world is exiting um, from fossil fuels. So the key thing to do here is to ensure that we uh, have really honest conversations with people affected by this transition and that we look for ways um, to invest in new industries in their geographical location. Now, I think in many ways that that is partially what the government is trying to achieve through their uh, $600 million gas plant. But the reality of that is that there's hardly any jobs that go with it. So it's it's the truth is that that's actually not going to solve that problem. What we do know um, with the construction of, of wind and solar is that there are many jobs associated with, with that kind of project. And we know that if we get our policy levers right, that many people in the communities where those those renewable energy projects are established can can benefit from that. If we take Germany, for example, ten percent of all renewable energy that's that's um, generated in Germany is owned by local farmers. An additional thirty percent is owned by local communities. So small towns own their own renewable energy plants. So. There's real ways we can do this. Um, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There's there's uh, really good ways we can do this. And um, the local power plan work that I did, which was uh, policy co-design with regional communities from all around Australia, I had 100 submissions into a discussion paper about that. I had local people from Indi, 15 of them, on an expert panel. They came to Parliament to see that legislation read into the House of Representatives um, the National Farmers Federation have backed in that bill saying this is exactly the kind of policy we need to transition um, regional Australia into a renewables future. I mean, right now, 25% of all our energy is coming from renewables. Um, within the next 50 years, it will be close to 100%. So I think um, I think it's really unfair if government try to pretend that it's going to be something else and prop up um, prop up something like gas, which ultimately will be a stranded asset. It's uh, it's not good use of taxpayers' money and it, it really does not um, solve that existential issue for, for people in the coal mining industry. Well, I think a lot of young people listening to this podcast would be very happy to have your voice in Parliament advocating for that transition and advocating for renewables. Just taking you back to where it all started, I'm really interested in what got you initially involved in politics and what your path of running for to run for office looked like. Now, you were endorsed by, rather than a political party, by an, a community organisation, Voices for Indi. Um, 
Helen, would you be able to tell me a little bit about that process? How did you become involved in Voices for Indi? What was your relationship like with your predecessor, Kathy McGowan? And yeah, because uh, I've read somewhere that you described your campaign as a basically a fate. It was like a community event. And as someone who's as someone who's from uh, who's been very involved in a political party, I can't tell like <laughs> I can't tell you that many of the campaigns that I've been involved in were necessarily a community event. There were a lot of hard work, which I imagine yours was as well. Yeah, well, Alicia, you, you know that if you're going to run for parliament and if you're going to succeed, that it takes thousands of hours of really hard work to make that happen. Um, you've got to convince a lot of people to vote for you and you can't do that from the comfort of your lounge room with a cup of tea. Uh, you've got to be out on the ground. You've got to be knocking on doors. You've got to be getting in front of people and, and giving them an opportunity to get to know you a little bit and decide whether, in fact, you're a reasonable person. Um, But I guess how did I get involved? Well, firstly, I can say that um, I've spent 35 years working in healthcare and I I had no political ambitions for myself at all. Um, But but within any, I think with any um, job that we're in, there's politics no matter what. And and in healthcare, uh, the politics of health are quite, um, quite stark. I mean, we have uh, limited resources to deliver uh, really expensive care to a, a, a huge number of people and, and working out how to do that and working out the division of what, what gets funded and what doesn't is, of course, a political exercise. So I've been more than aware for a very long time that uh, the impact of policy and decisions made at federal and state level have a very real impact on people's lived experience. So you know, there's been times that I've been throwing things at the television because of uh, political decisions or, or you know, the narratives I hear from politicians, I think, I, I, you know, I, I would get angry about that. So in that regard, um, I was always a consumer of, of uh, politics in the news and in my own, I guess, deliberations in my job. But in, um, in Indi, you know, we're a great big regional electorate and we've been an electorate that's uh, been represented by the Liberal Party for decades prior to 2013. And um, uh, it was around 2012, I think it was 2012, was the apology to the stolen generation. Um, and uh, our Member of Parliament, our representative in the House, did not attend that apology. And um, I felt really, really angry about that, really let down. I've I felt that um, that our our electorate wasn't seen in a good light, um, that our voices weren't being heard in the federal arena, and uh, I was really ha- unhappy with the level of our representation. Um, but I was still kind of sat on my hands about that. But fortunately, twelve other people did not sit on their hands. Twelve other people got together and um, and started what became a great big community conversation and uh, they formed the group Voices for Indi or it was known as Voice for Indi in those days and famously um, they established kitchen table conversations so put out across the electorate really through through interpersonal networks um, getting people together with a list of questions asking things like what do you love about the electorate what do you think could be better Um, what do you want to see in a federal representative Um, what kind of values are are important to you Uh, and they they formulated all of those responses and it was a real snowballing effect. People passed it on and passed it on and then they brought them all together 
wrote a report and took it to our then Member of Parliament and, and said, look, this is what the electorate's saying. We, we'd really like you to respond to it. And, and famously, she said, the people of Bindi are not interested in politics. Um, and, uh, well, history shows that, in fact, we were. And, of course, in 2013, Cathy McGowan was elected as uh, federal independent, the only Liberal seat in that election to fall, and uh, first time an independent in, uh, in Indi, huge news, won by 436 votes. It was uh, extraordinary. And, um, and I knew Cathy, and uh, I was campaigning for her, as were all members of my family, we got really involved with that. And that was the first time I'd ever handed out how to vote cards, first time I'd ever been door knocking, first time I ever wore a, 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 um, a political T-shirt. Uh, and, and I wasn't alone. You know, it was around uh, 900 other people, first time they'd ever done that. And um, so it was exciting. And when Cathy then um, went on to be a, a great member of parliament, I volunteered uh, again for her went to Canberra and in her office, saw what the job was like. And then when she indicated she was going to retire, um, I was constantly saying to people, um, well, who's going to replace Cathy? We can't just hand this back to the major parties. And um, eventually a few people started to say to me, well, what do you mean who's going to do it? Why don't you put up your hand? You know, that same old thing, if, if not me, who? Um, uh, so, again, um, we needed to determine as a community how we were going to work this all out. And Voices for Indi, um, essentially their, their main vision is around participation in democracy. So in between elections, they're pretty quiet. Um, they do workshops assisting people to have a voice and to, and to join in. So they, they then decided, well, how can we find a way to put forward someone else um, that the community might want to get behind. Um, so uh, in true kind of uh, Indi style, they called a town hall meeting. Um, we could only fit 250 people in the room and uh, there was essentially a deliberative forum happened. And um, if you were interested in, in, in getting the support to be a community independent, then uh, you needed to apply and there were three people who did and we each presented to that group and then over the course of an entire day from nine till four, um, that whole group had to reach 100% consensus wow. about what they wanted to put forward or invite to run. So, um, yeah, that's how we did it. And, well, you know, so and I went into the process thinking I don't care if it's not me, actually. I'd kind of be relieved if it wasn't. <laughs> but if I'm going to put myself forward, I'm all, you know, I'm 100% in if they ask me to do it. Was that day where, you know, you're presenting, it's eight to four, we're coming to a hundred percent consensus. Was it, um, was there any conflict whatsoever or was it fairly relaxed? It sounds like the way to do things. Well, it was pretty intense. Um, it wasn't relaxed. It was really intense, but it was really respectful. And, and that's, you know, again, that's what we're on about in Indi. Um, uh, you need to be informed, you need to work with the evidence, you need to be inclusive, you need to listen to other people, not attack them. And um, that was, again, the way this was done, that there should be no losers from this process. And, in fact, you know, part of the process was that at any stage um, any, of the, or any of the candidates could say, you know what, I actually think, you know, um, Roberta would be better than me. You know, I think her answers are better, so I'm going to dip out now and... and and you know, there's only, and that did happen actually until um, until we finally got to consensus. And 
And we got to, I think we got to about 99% consensus. There was one person left who wasn't quite sure. And then she stepped forward and she said, look, there's one more question I need to ask before I can be certain that I could throw my all my support behind Helen. And she and I can't recall what the question was, to be truthful, but she asked the question and I gave the answer and she said, yeah, I, I'm happy now. And um, and uh, Alicia, I guess the, the proof that this worked was um, when Cathy first started, there were 600 signed up volunteers in, 20, in 2013. When I ran in 2019, Cathy had grown that to 900 uh, in 2016. By 2019, we had 1,700 community members who pulled on an orange T-shirt and um, got out in the ground and helped win this election. It's just an immense community organising effort. And I think that there were, it sounds like a bit of a nirvana, to be honest. I'm sure there are a lot of people and a lot of electorates around around Australia who would who listen to that experience and just think that the optimism of it 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 just it really juxtaposes with the cynicism that I think permeates the major parties, both internally sometimes, but also you know the Australian public doesn't really seem to be major fans of the major parties. What's your what, what's your thinking around Labor and Liberal? Yeah, look, uh, I think it's unfortunate in Australia that we've kind of come to this point where where everyday people see politics as either la- uh, Labor or Liberal. Um, I think that we'd have a lot more to gain as a society if we were um, much more diverse in our representation. Um, so, of course, I'm going to say that as an independent, but I truly believe that if we have a bigger crossbench um, with people there that don't come from a major party background who uh, are not beholden to uh, a major party line, who can directly interrogate every piece of legislation on its merits and in regard to how it impacts the people they represent, then I think, and, and that if they come forward with um, an attitude of really contributing to, to public policy in, a, in an optimistic and a constructive way, and that, that's really where I come at this. So for me, um, you know, I, I love being an independent on the crossbench. It means that I can work with government, whoever they are, irrespective of what party they may be. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not a cheerleader for government, nor am I just a straight-up critic. I'm there to actually work um, work well with them if I can and to come forward with, with good policy ideas myself. That's how I see it. And there's been plenty of times in Parliament where I've, I've given the, the government an absolute beating in my speech or um, because I think whatever they were proposing is really bad. There's other times where I think they've had some good good things to do. And, and again, I would, you know, um, applaud that when it happens. So, you know, I would love to see us be a little more like some of our European um, parliaments where there is a um, more shared, shared, uh, shared power. Um, but power is the word, isn't it, Alicia? This is it, you know. Um, mainstream Australian political parties do not want to share power. Well, talking about power, I I think uh, some of the questions that I receive when I put out uh, questions to my audience about what they want to know from politicians, a lot of their questions revolve around power. And I think it's interesting to have you as an independent MP. How do you feel? Do you feel like you can effectively exercise power as an independent? Do you feel like those policy ideas that initially drew you to parliament, do you feel like you've actually been able to translate and, and have, like, what are you proud of achieving so far? Mm. 
Um, well, the answer is yes. I, I, I feel like I have um, plenty of influence. I think um, it's really interesting when you sit on the crossbench as an independent. Um, both, both sides of the aisle want to talk to you, particularly given that the government right now has only a one-seat majority in the House of Representatives. So it's very, very tight, uh, Alicia. It really is. Um, I, I think in terms of what I'm most proud of is, number one, I'm, I'm most proud that I've, I've, to the best of my ability, I've stuck to the values that I said I would. Um, and that I've I've tried in all of my deliberations, both in Parliament and out in the electorate, to come forward with hope and optimism and a positive contribution and to listen to as many people as I possibly can. I think um, one piece of legislation, and I mentioned it before when we were talking about uh, the Hunter, uh, is the Australian Local Power Agency Bill and, and the work that I've done on community energy because, uh, for me, I'm not the one really prosecuting my ideas. I'm, I'm, my job is to prosecute the ideas and, um, and the policy platforms of the electorate. And when they came to me with community energy and said, really, we, you know, if we had the right levers, we could scale this up. Um, I then worked with them throughout the lockdown last winter through those lockdowns and um, put together a discussion paper, uh, put that out to the universe. We had 100 submissions from all over Australia on that. And then I then ran a series of online workshops and we put together um, a really comprehensive policy document, had it fully um, costed through the Parliamentary Budget Office and then wrote the legislation that would enable that policy to actually come to life. Took that to the House of Representatives. The community were with me there in the gallery uh, from that expert panel that day, uh, saw that read into the Parliament came with me to the press conference, had something to say in the press conference, and now that piece of legislation, um, after a fair bit of, of lobbying, I've got to say, but I've finally got it to a parliamentary inquiry. Um, so that will be will be examined at that level. More submissions can come in at that, at that time. And I've had really great feedback from parliamentarians of all backgrounds about this. Um, I'm really optimistic about that, Bill. I'd, you know, I'd love to see the government take that on. Uh, I don't think it's particularly political. I think it's solid public policy and it's really about regional development. So I'm really proud of the way the community worked with me right from the conception of the idea through to developing it into something um, really robust and, and then into the, into the legislation. So super pleased about that. And of course, you know, there's more to winning than just getting the money often. Um, it's it's about creating a great big national conversation as well, and I feel like I've achieved that. Um, only recently, after after lots of lots of encouragement initially, um, a, you know, powerful lobby group, the you know the National Farmers Federation, traditionally seen as being very conservative, have backed me in a hundred percent on the local power plan, and and um, only today they were giving a presentation at uh, the Renewable Energy Zone conference and they talked about the Australian Local Power Agency and Helen Haynes's bill. So, you know, that, that, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Happy to bring people along with me, not, not to create people in corners, but to bring us, bring us to a point where we can actually make really good stuff happen. That is awesome. Taking you to another national conversation this year, Obviously, we've seen so much emerge, everything from microaggressions around the treatment of women in parliament to 
big allegations of sexual harassment and assault and generally unsavory behavior in parliament what have you been what have you thought as a parliamentarian watching all of that unfold oh, you know um you could, I guess you could just hear me sigh yes. um so many women I, I think it's a shared sigh yeah you know I, I'm I'm 59 and and the fact that this stuff still happens is it it's it, you know, it could make you despair, really. And there's moments where, like many women, I just feel exhausted by it. Um, but I'm very mindful that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in a position of enormous privilege now. So I have a platform and I can use it. And for me, what unfolded in Parliament House, you know, in the house where the laws are actually made, and, and sometimes people forget that, like we're the lawmakers and good grief, Um the revelations from um, from Brittany Higgins and from so many other young women in the House of Representatives was just truly appalling. So for me, I had to think about well, what can what can you do now, Helen? So straight away, my perspective was to join with my crossbench colleagues, write to the Prime Minister, um, very strongly uh, push for an independent inquiry, and very strongly push for um, for the Human Rights Commission to get involved at this point and. You know, other people did that, of course, too. The opposition did that as well, and um, that's what's taking place now. Um, so, so that's that's good. Um, I certainly joined with women um, on the march for justice and uh, and uh, stood beside them. But I guess you know, this is these are all small steps, really, to what is an enormous problem. And uh, I guess again, part of what I feel I can do as an MP is is to try to ensure that we have the right amount of um, policy and funding that will address the the structural issues that hold women back in terms of gender equality more broadly. It's not until, you know, I know I'm speaking to the converted here, but, you know, it's not until men and women are actually structurally equal in the eyes of the law and in workplace relations, in um, parenting, in um, salary equity that... um, that we can move beyond this issue of, of uh, some people feeling like they can uh, treat or can objectify women or uh, get away with a crime as seriously alleged as, as, as rape in the workplace. You know, it's, yeah, we've got a long way to go, Alicia, but I really want to be part of the solution. Uh, I think you're so, you're so right in talking about how there is that just is so it feels insurmountable and there are so many layers to it like just simply I'm I'm not (laughs) I'm gonna be careful what I say here but I'm not thinking about having a baby tomorrow but you know that's probably the next chapter of my life and one of the the things that just stuck uh, stood out like a sore thumb to me when I was reading things I was actually on the Centrelink website and I realized for the first time that uh, men can't receive Centrelink benefits for paid parental leave. And that just seemed to me, I saw this amazing woman on Q&A who said, we will only experience true equality when an employer is as angry and fearful yeah, of a ma- <laughs> Yeah, she was amazing, yeah. a rock star. But, you know, these things litter our society. So it is, I, I feel quite a lot of comfort in the fact knowing that we have such a considered articulate woman in parliament advocating on these issues. Um, On that, you are like, that's what's struck me about this conversation the most. You are so 
articulate and strong. And I think that the 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 phrase imposter syndrome is thrown around by a lot of young women and you seem very sure of yourself as a woman and as a parliamentarian i would ask you if you had a piece of advice or wisdom to young women who have that fire burn within them like that fire burnt within you when that i won't name them but when that parliamentarian wasn't there for the apology Women who are experiencing that fire and want to get involved in politics, what would your wisdom be to them? Well, first I'd say that um, don't don't be afraid if you have imposter syndrome. You know, I've, I've had plenty of imposter syndrome in my life too. Um, I, I certainly have. And, and really the very, very first few steps I took as a brand-new MP, by golly, I, I asked myself many times, you know, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? You know, how did this happen? Why are you here? Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's like any new job that you take on. You know, once you, once you step into the arena, um, then you, you need to put on the shiny bolero and, uh, and, and go for the bull. Um, and there are lots of other brilliant people around who will be there to support you. And, uh, you know, I often say to young women who say to me, Helen, you know, gosh, as an independent, you know, that's hard. You haven't got the party around you. And, I, and, and that's true. Every decision that is made, I have to own it myself and make it. But, you know, I, I really think that when you're a community independent as I am, um, that you never walk alone. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm always there to phone a friend Believe me, like there's so many things I'm not sure of, but I know where to go to find um, to find answers. And I, I think if I could reassure young women that you know there are many resources in the parliament to help you too. There's the most extraordinary library with uh, a whole squad of researchers. And um, you know I come from an academic background. I love research. I love libraries. And uh, you know I really make use of that. And and those people, good grief, they're so fabulous. Uh, you know, I think they must work around the clock. You know, I can send a request to them and and uh, next morning I'll have the most extraordinary brief there and they'll come and, and talk me through it. So I think if you're afraid that you feel like, oh, I don't know enough yet or I haven't had enough experience, don't feel that. I mean, you are a citizen of this nation and you have, uh, you have a role to play in the federal parliament if you choose it. Um, so Again, I would say, uh, you know, I spent many years working as a nurse and a midwife and, and then went into academia. I, I thought when, it, when people were tapping me on the shoulder, I, I mean, the first thing I said to them is that I haven't got the right experience to be a member of parliament. Well, you know, that's a nonsense. Of course I did. And, of course, every, every woman listening to this has a life experience and that's what the House of Representatives is about. It should be about a diversity of experience. It shouldn't be filled with people who've come through a political pathway, you know, that had it stamped on their head from birth. Uh, of course, you have the skills. And if you, you know, you shouldn't, I think you, many of us think it's not the right moment, um, that uh, I'm not ready yet, or my circumstances are such that it's it's not the right time. Well, Again, I would say to you, uh, the right time may never come, but if the opportunity knocks, you should take it there and then. And if it's not a 
I think a lot of people see their route into politics as one of the major political parties or the Greens or, you know, an established established party because, you know, you can go online, you can put in your membership form. There are formal things like branch meetings to go to. If, you, if you'd like to take the independent path, how, how did you get involved in your community? Mm. Well, again, it's a lifetime, really. So um, for me, I've uh, I've lived and worked in rural and regional Australia pretty much all my life. I had a I, you know a few years in the city when I first left the family farm. Uh, but I, I think in everything that you do, like not everyone's going to run for parliament. Of course, they're not. Um, but there's ways that you can participate in your democracy wherever you are and whatever you do. So um, I encourage people, though, who are interested in becoming uh, an MP to get engaged in your community as much as you can. Do lots of volunteering. Um, join those community groups that, uh, that are important to you, that you have a real passion and interest in, and get yourself some leadership training. Um, I think that if you step into the ring again uh, in a community group, find yourself some good mentors and, and start to take positions on the committee and um, and get used to chairing a meeting, get get used to making decisions like that. I, I think uh, if you can do formal leadership training, that's really helpful. I know I did. Uh, it was really helpful. I also, and again, this was way before I ever thought I was going to be an MP. I also, um, I did company director training as well and because I was a, a board director on several not-for-profit boards. So, Again, that kind of formal training is really, really helpful if, uh, if in fact, you do end up becoming a Member of Parliament. Things like Pathways to Politics, of course, extraordinary program that uh, is all about uh, encouraging women, women to throw their hat in the ring. We love practical advice and I have loved speaking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me, Helen, and I'm going to let you, I'm gonna get, let you get prepped for Rotary. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much, Alicia. I'm, uh, I better do some quick notes, but uh, but they're they're always a great audience, you know. And and for me, they usually say, "Oh, we want you to talk for half an hour," but I never do. I talk for fifteen minutes and then say, "Okay, it's officially question time. You can ask me yes. anything you like." So we we always have a great conversation. That's the way to do it. Thank you so much for joining yeah. me, Helen. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure, Alicia, and all the very I'll, best to you. I'm sure I'll That's bump into you in Canberra someday. I hope so. I hope so. All right. (laughs) See you later. Bye. In the House and in the Senate is recorded on the land of the Wadjuk people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and in the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House in the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, throwbacks to my time in staffing and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at alicia.aikenradburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye to you. <laughs> next question. <laughs> See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.